Grant, and this is Sex Archie. I am coming at you solo today for a very special episode. Like we mentioned last time, Elena is far, far away in an entirely different state and time zone from our, our recording studio, where I sit at this moment I say these words. So we are not able to bring you uh, uh, our usual episode at our usual time. But instead, I got permission. I got special dispensation to just sit and talk to you for a while about some things that she and I both care about. Specifically, for, what is this, the third, fourth uh, a week in a row? I'm just going to talk about musicals a lot. <laughs> because now, now that we know we're in the farewell season, and we know we've had our final musical episode, we can talk about them as a category, as a set. And also, uh, uh, following our last uh, episode, recapping Archie the Musical... I did more research and found more facts and uh, uh, can correct some misstatements I made about the music in that episode. Uh, just goes to show that, hey, maybe uh, CW put out some press releases. Um, Riverdale team hit, hit, hit me up with some, some advanced copies. Like, I don't want to get these things wrong. I need some help. I need help. <laughs> so so uh, I got some notes I got some lyrics where I could find them, and uh, uh, so let's talk about the songs uh, in my own special order. I'm going to talk about the ones that have their own writers, and then the two sets uh, uh, done by uh, the same team or individual, right? So we're going to start with Archie's All-American by the famed, uh, uh, the beloved Joe Iconis. Uh, this song... One of my favorites from the show, for sure. Uh, well, it was not written for this show. Uh, nobody from the production office called up and said, Hey, Joe, love your work. Can we get a, a catchy pop ballad about Archie being indecisive? It's not what happened. This song, this song was written on spec to get a job writing for a never-produced Archie musical to hear Mr. Iconis tell the story. So I have to assume that's the, the 2015 Adam McKay funnierdie.com thing that never went beyond a, a an initial announcement, right? Timeline works. That makes sense. So he wrote it on spec for that job that he did not get. And it turned out nobody got that job because there isn't an Archie the Musical. <laughs> and he put it uh, uh, in 2020 or 2021 on an album he released just called Album, uh, along with uh, 40 plus other songs. Uh, and this album was such a big project for him that he went ahead and made a podcast about it with an episode on every song. So if you want to hear someone talk for 15 minutes about this song, I got you covered. If you want to hear someone talk about it for like three or four, uh, sit right in. You're in the middle of it right now. So uh, Joe Iconis did not know that the song Archie's All-American made it into the Riverdale episode Archie the Musical until after it happened. Th this is not because they stole the song or anything nefarious like that. It's because these things are handled through like licensing companies and, you know, lawyers and stuff. Uh, he did know that it was under consideration months ago. But things that get considered don't always get filmed and then put in the final TV program. So there, there you go. 
as far as the music goes, like the theme of indecision, uh, huge, huge thing in that song, obviously, and also having an instrumental break in the original version that you can listen to uh, are, are both signs that Iconis didn't really have an angle on what Archie the Musical would be, what he would want it to be. Uh, but he's going to throw his hat into the ring with a catchy as hell like pop number. And the rest is history, I guess. Uh, I like this one. I, I like this one a lot. It's easy to call it the kind of uh, uh, contemporary musical song I hate, but like my standards have been worn so low by some of the stuff I was complaining about in our previous episode that just saying the character's name 20 times is specific enough for me. I'll, I'm satisfied with that for now. <laughs> That's where we found ourselves. So next, next one in this category, Do You Know What It's Like by Tim Aceto, the author, uh, the, the songwriter of Xanadont. First correction, Xanadont is not a Xanadu riff in any way past the title. Uh, there was also an idea that the main character would be on roller skates, but that didn't come to pass. Never assume these things from the title. Uh, whoops, egg on my face. What Xanadont is actually about is a magical wand-waving matchmaker named Xana uh, living in a world where nearly everyone is gay and monstrously heterophobic. Do you get it? Do you get the satire? It's in there. Uh, this show follows four central characters, and this song follows one, one of the men and women kissing in public and all the fallout from it. And, and in the song specifically, one of the men is wrestling with his love being magic wand love. And does that mean it's not real? While uh, his boyfriend is singing about how much he wants to love his boyfriend back, even though he's actually straight. And the, the, and the girl he didn't kiss, really angry and confused about her girlfriend, who she loves dearly, turning out to be straight. And uh, the, the girl who did kiss the boy, pining for a boy in this very hostile world and the song framed heart that way is heartbreaking it's tragic it like when you know what this song is really about and listen to it with its original lyrics it fucks you up they cut a lot of uh those verses <laughs> to use it uh, as what was it the the perfect distillation of uh, uh queer interracial love in the 50s that's not what this song is about they they tried to make it about that but it's not uh, uh, little changes like Kevin singing, uh, when my mind knows it can't be true instead of the original, uh, when my mind knows it's not true. That's a dude singing about magic wand love, right? Right? <laughs> but there's one word missing and it comes before love. Yeah, that's the word true. It's, uh, oh, this song, it gets to me in the original version. It kind of diminishes the, the Riverdale version for me, even though I, th I think it's lovely, it's very pretty, it's performed so well uh, uh, after listening to it a number of times to prepare for this bonus episode, but it just doesn't hold a candle to the uh, Xanadont original. <laughs> I'm sorry. So that brings us to our Ben Lee Michael Wells uh, special. Uh, uh, this is I Got to Prom Night, I Got to Reprise, uh, uh, and The Universe Inside. Um, they're fine. They're fine. Like, these are the songs that impress me least. 
like uh, the universe inside is a really nice scene. It's bound to be a huge moment in the fandom. It's got it's got the big vet, Betty Veronica kiss. Episode one had a Betty Veronica kiss. Like they mean it this time. That is different for sure. But come on now. Uh, I do think prom night is a lot of fun. Prom night is exactly the sort of song historical concerns aside, I made that point enough, I think, uh, uh, that I think Kevin would want for the show. Kevin is writing in the fiction of the show. They, they really nailed that. But I don't know. I don't have I don't have a lot to say. I, I do think the um, Onion Rings bit in I Got To is cleverer and more fun than the, the offhand joke I treated it as before. But it's fine. They're good. Uh, by the way, Ben Lee is like a a comedy songwriter. Uh, Michael Wells is his partner specifically for musical theater style things, like the pseudo stagey comedy album "Beer the Musical," whatever the full title was, and and this. So now the Matthew Dewar's numbers. Uh, all of these, all of these are really toned down. In their edge. Uh, uh, a lot of the edgiest bits are contemporary references that don't fit with the 50s at all. So I understand that. But like, these are kids that that drink and have sex, right? Uh, season seven Archie kids, they don't. At least not in the musical Kevin is writing to, prevent, to present to Principal Featherhead, right? But Monday senior year really shows that off. And a lot of the new lyrics cover up not entirely a, a, a clued, but do lessen uh, what I think is one of Matthew Dewar's like lyrical touchstones. That they're very stream of consciousness. They're very interjectional. Characters will interrupt themselves midline in a way that still maintains like rhythm and rhyme, but the thought right gets overridden in the middle of the line uh, in a way that's got to be fun to act like when a Veronica just blurts out Jordash Jean year for no uh, clear external reason. Um, <laughs> but that that's very fun. Um, if you want to listen to these demos, I recommend it. Uh, they're, they're all really good. I enjoy the extra verses. I enjoy the extra context. Uh, be forewarned, the singers uh, involved, their idea of doing a teen character is to be kind of nasal to be kind of bright uh it's 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 about as snotty as a uh, uh mid-period green day song right but that's that's the sort of vocal tone they're going for to be young and youthful and when you get used to it it's fine i can understand someone bouncing off of that real quick but just for the research sake you gotta listen to these songs uh so that brings us to friday valentine uh, AKA best frenemies. I didn't bring this up in the episode, but I think, uh, and I'm sure Elena could, could have corrected me if I'm wrong. This 2001 demo for a musical that was never produced. Is this the first mention of the Vixens as the name of Riverdale's, uh, cheer squad? Cause it's in there and, and no predating, uh, uh, comic strips come to mind, but then again, there's like 80 years of them nearly at this point. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, this song is a lot meaner. 
uh, uh, in the uh, uh, particularly the parts that get cut out, like uh, they're Betty and Veronica are going at it in that in in the best frenemies demo. Uh, there is just a I won't call it a rap section. Let's say spoken word portion <laughs> where Veronica calls Betty uh, goody two shoes dot net. You can't do that in 1955. You can't. Uh, but she also calls her a girl whose dog food is the closest she is the closest she comes to pedigree. And that's fun. Also, the, the bit that gets given to Cheryl about the power getting knocked out. Uh, originally, that was uh, uh, Archie coming over with some DVDs, but the player gets jammed. And then uh, Veronica gets out her pom-poms. And there's an earlier line that got cut that makes it very clear that pom-pom is a, a metaphor for, uh, I believe the technical term is yabos, uh, in case that wasn't clear enough. <laughs> But I also appreciate how uh, in the original version, um, the scene is cheer practice and they integrate that like one one of the portions of the song is just a cheer by the Vixens uh, uh, as this Betty Veronica thing is happening or around practice. It's good. It's really good. Uh, this is love. This song Gosh, I wish I knew the context of this song. If it was even written for that 2001 uh, uh, show that got scrapped and eventually became Archie's Weird Fantasy and later comic book fantasy, weird comic book fantasy. I don't know. I don't even know. I'm going to assume it is because it's with three songs that I know absolutely were. But what if even in this musical version, what if it that was also about Archie being gay? What if this is Archie's gay anthem? I'd buy it, right? I would buy it. But who knows? No way of knowing. So so without much more to say there, uh move on to finale parentheses our song, adapted from the original Our Song. Uh so one thing that I didn't mention, but I did notice uh, uh previously, uh it bookends the opening number is like, our song plays on the radio, right? And so the whole end is about the qualities of our song, the titular our song, and about how, like, it's not the song to save the world, but it binds us to each other. And I find that very, I, I find that alone to be like a touching uh, sentiment for like a, a single piano finale, right? But it makes me wonder what the plot of this was going to be. Like, what, what goes in between those bookends? I want to know. Tell, tell me your structure. Reveal it to me. And uh, the demo goes even harder on that with a bridge about this melody brings you to me. It's so nice. It's so pretty. But also the staging in the episode of the song. Uh, how nice is it for the whole cast to gather around Kevin, big group hug, you know, demonstrate how much they care in the middle of a song, he wrote about how much he misses his shitty dad. I, th I think that's what the song is about in this context, right? I think Sheriff Keller is like, quote, never before have I been without you. I, th I think that's what the song is about. In 2023, that is, of course. But right? Right? Anyhow, I said at the top, we would be talking about these musicals as a category, as a set, as a thing that happened as and is complete. So... I re-listened to all of the music, and, and I want to treat them as cast albums for musicals, right? I don't want to talk about the plots, 
I don't want to talk about anything that doesn't happen to musical accompaniment, right? Uh, uh, I'm going to talk about Hedwig in a few minutes, and it's not going to be about uh, what it sets up and then fails to deliver on Kevin's character. We've had those conversations so many times. This is about if you put this, if, if you had this as a CD and you plopped it in, what is that experience, right? So from the top, chronological-wise, Carrie, this is still variable and inconsistent, but with really high highs. And unfortunately, uh, one of the lows is I think Madeline Petch is miscast. Again, the thing we're not talking about, the plot, obviously she's Carrie. Cheryl is Carrie. No two ways about it. If they did anything else, I would have been disappointed. But in this context, she's not the big showstopper singer. Right. Uh, uh, what she does really well is the the dialogue in uh, uh, Imagine Amex's big number, "Stay Here Instead." Right, uh, and this is a hint. I'm putting a pin uh, in something that she's really going to excel in in later seasons. But what she does mostly in Carrie is just not good. What is good? What's really good is uh, all of the full cast numbers. Right, uh, um, in the opener. Uh, a night you'll we'll never forget. Uh, uh, so good uh, because their their energy is so high, the texture is so good, and just uh, these are people who got their parts eighteen months before this episode was recorded or whatever. Most of them had no idea they would have to sing, right? <laughs> Ashley Murray knew she was there to sing, but but. <laughs> These other people, that's not what they're here for. But you, you put them in, and like the the wonderful thing about choral music is people uh, cover for each other, and there's there's a magic in the sound of many voices, and they they deliver on that in in those numbers. It's really good. It's really good. I'd say Carrie, Carrie's all right. Carrie is a is a B, maybe a B minus. Heather's. Let's talk about Heather's. Uh, Casey Cott, uh, really comes into his own as a, like, central part of these episodes here, uh, because he did not have a role in in Carrie, he was a director of uh, Carrie, but here he sets the tone with this really clear, strong voice, and here's a thing where he is occasionally miscast in all of these years to go because they keep doing the these rock and pop rock musicals that call for a rougher tone an aggressive tone and he has a of the voice of an angel angels aren't welcome in in heathers it's not written for angels like to give an example of where i think it's even worse right uh, there's the film Once, where Glenn Hasnard uh, plays the lead role because he wrote the music for it, and the guy they cast originally to play that role just wasn't delivering it right. Uh, the director's like, you know who's, who, uh, whose voice is like indelibly tied to these songs? The guy who fucking wrote them and cut the demos. It, it's easier to get him to act than, than to get anyone else to sing like that. And so later that movie was adapted as a stage musical, and... The director was fucking right, because I can't listen to it. I can't listen to it, because those songs live or die on strain. They need someone who's barely, just on a wing and a prayer, hitting the these uh, uh, notes, just riding on the emotion of them. And so instead they get, like, incredibly 
technically able Broadway singer just to just belt him out clear as a bell. And that's not the, that music at all. Um, so, so to come back to Casey Cott, I guess what I'm saying is he's too good for this. He's too good. <laughs> Another thing that they do, particularly in Heather's, is there, there are parts when you watch the episode where the, the music is vamping under dialogue scenes in the middle of the, these longer numbers. And in the album, they keep that. And what that leaves is just hollow spots. This is something a number of cast albums for stage musicals do as well when they're faced with that problem. And it is by far my least uh, favorite solution to that problem. Just record different orchestrations or include the dialogue. Those are two things that are way better than these weird hollow spots that are kind of disorienting when listening to them as songs. I don't like it. Uh, this is also the first year where Cole Sprouse really joins as a singer, and he has no energy or character when singing normally. The the standard bits, I'm thinking about the, the early verse of 17 in particular, and then there's a change. You get to the big crescendo in 17, and it's amazing. He really comes through. Everything you need comes through. He's like a man that can backflip but cannot walk. It's so strange to me. Uh, this is also the year where Vanessa Morgan, as Tony Topaz, uh, establishes herself as absolutely one of the best musical performers in the ensemble uh, along with Lily Reinhardt and Camila Mendez, of course, after being in Carrie the year before, one of the most inconsistent, like great on some songs, just like, oh, mm, on others, right? And But from here on out, she she is top tier. Spoilers for two musical episodes from now, but by far, Lily Reinhardt is my favorite part of all six of these combined. If you were to make one mega album of all six shows, uh, head and shoulders, honestly. So sorry, Casey Cott, but they they give you too much. You are, are merely a man. You are not the Atlas they need you to be. I'm sorry. Uh, because Lily has Camilla Mendez and, and Vanessa Morgan, like, she's free to just nail it and not move heaven and earth. <laughs> uh, but, you know, who unfortunately drops out of these because uh, for many reasons she left the show. I hope she's happy and thriving elsewhere because we miss her. Ashley Murray uh, as uh, Josie McCoy. M member? Hey, hey, you member? <laughs> Because in this one in particular, she turns the song Fight For Me from, I'm going to say it, it's a skip when I'm listening to the off-Broadway cast of Heather's The Musical. It is the best song in uh, Archie, in Riverdale's Heather's The Musical episode uh, uh, album. Um, she's phenomenal, as well as the choice to turn it into a duet, to pull a story into it. Uh, that is more dynamic than Lady Watches a Fight, which again, dynamic on stage, not in your CD player. Also, it does, uh, to break my rules a little bit, it reminds me of the, the short-lived, but I thought very pleasant, really fun to watch Archie and Josie relationship. Anyway, Hedwig, Hedwig is here. 
Uh, time for some of those pins I put in to, to get pulled out pro and con. Again, Casey Cott, the only one in this cast who can nail the music on the page, but he's only like mm, 70% the character. Mm, mm. But this is where Madeline Petch really starts to find her spot making little moments shine. She is the opposite of uh, uh, what I said about Cole Sprouse. She can't do backflips. Fine. Neither can I. But she can walk. She can dance. She can hit the balance beam. She, she can go backwards. Like, when it's the, the little bits, she has so much life and so much character. I'm thinking of, like, the hypoallergenic dog bit in Sugar Daddy. It's so good. Uh, she has little moments like that in Next to Normal that uh, uh, I'm not going to talk about in the next segment because I want to talk about other things next to normal. But whenever they give her just a little bit to have some fun with that isn't this huge soaring aria, she she elevates it. Uh, uh, and it's a shame that, frankly, this is down to Broadway writers. They think and maybe Broadway audiences making them think uh, that the the things Madeline isn't great at are the things that everyone needs to be great at. It's not fucking true. No, it's not. It's just not. Also, Sugar Daddy as a whole, the marching band orchestration, inspired choice. Brilliant. I love that number. Next to normal, next to normal, they put out uh, 40 minutes and change of music on this one. (laughs) There's so much music in Next to Normal. And and I know for a fact a lot of these songs still aren't the full versions. Like Hedwig, they chopped and screwed those songs to hell and back. Uh, but pull, put out full versions of the songs for uh, uh, the album version. And I really appreciate that. And it undoes a lot of the fucking song crime they did. Oh my god. I gotta stop myself. I gotta stop myself before I, I talk about Exquisite Corpse again. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Go back to that episode. You know what I mean. Anyhow, uh, uh, if you want to find that episode, you can just go to our SoundCloud page and check the playlists. After uh, the most recent episode, I made a playlist of all of the the uh, episodes, where uh, bonus and recap, where we talk about musicals. Th- this is going to be the end cap on that playlist. But anyhow, anyhow, there's so much music in the Next to Normal album, and it's all fucking great. Huge, huge showcase for Lily Reinhardt. Just like, just listen to I Miss the Mountains. Just listen to it. I dare you. I dare you to listen to I Miss the Mountains and not fall in love with that song and her performance of it. And part of the reason, I hate to say this, I feel like I've been very negative uh, uh, in this, but... It's out of love and it's out of high expectations because of what I know they're capable of in the bits I'm not talking about, and maybe I should. But this album is in part fantastic because it's the only one with vocal doubles. <laughs> the Ghost of Chick has his singing voice provided by Tyson Ritter of the All American Rejects. And uh, uh, the and the ghost of Polly has a singing voice pro- provided by Jackie Lee, uh, runner-up of The Voice. And so they are amazing. I w- would Tierra uh, Scove be? Uh, uh, it's been a long time since I saw her name spelled. I apologize. Would she have been that good? 
I doubt it. She wasn't runner-up of The Voice. Would she have been fine? Even nice and pleasant? I don't know. Maybe. Probably. But they didn't try. They got Jackie Lee from The Voice, and she's fucking amazing. Uh, <laughs> so, so just like all all bangers. When um when Madchen Amick is basically the uh, a weak point of your vocal ensemble, but she has a part that is written for an aging manic woman who is again not doing the big uh, uh, sustained high notes. That's not how this song is written. That's not how this show is written. Thank God for, for uh, blessing us with such small curses. I guess uh, Cole does have a number in this. There, there is that subplot about, like, this is the... Um, we're, we're still in mid-wooing of, of his burger babe. But um, even he is doing those smaller bits better than he usually does. He's no Madeline Petch, but he tries. He tries. So that brings us to American Psycho, and uh, the American Psycho, like, digital album release includes the Bread and Roses number, so 10 out of 10, no notes, uh, absolutely. And then, to, to take it back to the present, Riverdale special episode, Archie the Musical, this one honestly falters for being inconsistent. Like, may maybe it's because I hit the books, did my research, but... It definitely feels cobbled together. Like there is not a unified voice here, right? The, these songs were not written to go together. They were written piecemeal for other projects. And I, I guess it fell to the beer partners to, to uh, uh, weave everything together. And who knows if they knew that's what their job was. Who knows if that's the job they were pitched? I, I bet it wasn't. I bet they were just told... Hey, uh, we got four things we want songs for, and if we could get a brief reprise of one of them, that'd be killer. Uh, uh, so yeah, I don't think there is a through line, which is a thing that I want to see in a musical cast album. That is important to me. So as great as the songs and numbers are, it gets docked points for that. So if I were to rank them... Um, I think Next to Normal on top, easy. If you didn't guess that from what I said a minute ago, you were not listening. And then, ooh, this is where it gets hard because a lot of these are quite good and quite good in in similar degrees, right? There, It's a very, very tight race for the rest of the podium. Um... So I guess I'll say, if you ask me again in a week, I reserve the right to have a totally different answer. And and uh, after lifting that weight off my shoulders, I'm going to go American Psycho, Hedwig, Archie the Musical, Carrie, Heathers in sixth. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm satisfied with that. Anyhow, that is my entire agenda for the day. Uh, this is what this show sounds like when I'm all alone and have been for several days and will be for several days more, as it turns out. The the work trip went great. Everyone should congratulate Elena for, for being for doing a fantastic job at uh, uh, not only the business done 
out of state at this uh, event, but the preparation that went into it, oh my God, I've, I've honestly, uh, a lot of the last few weeks, I've hardly seen her more than I have this week when she's not even home. Uh, it's incredible. I'm so proud of her. You should all be so proud of her. I don't know if you can tell this, but I love my wife so much and she brightens up every single day. And, uh, uh, whenever I think of her, my, my heart sings and because she's not home right now, she can't tell me to take that bit out. So there. Anyhow, this is normally the time that she would tell you to uh, uh, tell a friend about the show we make. If your friend is Joe Iconis, I'm a lot nicer to him in this episode than I am in the last one. I'm sorry. Taste is personal. And uh, uh, be more chill lies outside of mine. I, I, that's just the way the world works. Uh, also, you can leave us a rating and review on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate that. We are going to do our best to record uh, an episode on the most recently aired Riverdale episode on, you know, Miss Teen Riverdale in the middle of next week. But, you know, that's the thing about trying. Sometimes you fail uh, just, just to keep a heads up on that one. But when we do sit down together and turn the mics hot and talk about, is there a swimsuit competition? I don't know. I, I haven't watched the episode yet. I, I want to do that with her. Pre-gaming is not part of the process here. Uh, uh, we will definitely make that announcement on our Twitter account at sex underscore Archie, which is also a fine place to get in touch with us about stuff. As fine as a Twitter account can be these days. Yeah. And then, anyhow, uh, I guess I'm Grant, and on behalf of Elena and Sex Archie, goodytwoshoes.net. <laughs>